Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olibest. Today begins episode three of Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex, and I'm joined again by my fabulous reading partner, Faiza Parvez. Hi, Faiza. Hi, Amy. Excited to be back. (laughs) It's so great to see you again, and I'm excited to dive in. If you've been listening um, through the first and second episodes, we've tackled um, a few different chapters of Simone de Beauvoir's masterpiece, The Second Sex. We've talked about various chapters and compared them to other texts and talked about existentialism and kind of drawn out some issues that we've encountered in our own lives. And And today is going to be our final episode on this. So Fies is going to talk about a chapter that's titled The Mother and a chapter called woman's situation and character. So Faiza, if you want to take it away with the chapter, The Mother. Yes, uh, she begins this chapter by talking about abortion, right? And and you would think that's, you know, exactly the opposite of motherhood, right? The, and not wanting to be a mom. And I was just like, why does she, you know, begin this way? And, and for a few times, it actually put me off. And then I sort of understood, you know, why she begins where she does. And and sort of she's trying to not, you know, she doesn't really give a a Christian or or any, you know, sort of point of view about this, but she's talking about how the women woman is perceived in our world. Like she is particularly perceived as a tool to bring about children. And her own health is not really considered at all, you know, in such cases. So more importance is given to the child, to this unborn child, rather than the woman. And that was really, you know, once I understood it from that point of view, it was really revealing to me. So in her case, Bouvard's case, she's talking about the woman and she's making the case for the woman and saying that, you know, we should actually consider, um, you know, whether what the woman feels in this instance, and and should care about her health. And this is why I think she begins with abortion. And and another thing she really, you know, points out is the hypocrisy of the male. And um, so, yeah, so she says that this is a quote from her, like men universally forbid abortion, but they accept it individually as a convenient solution. They can contradict themselves with dizzying cynicism. So, you know, she is, is seeing this and, and pointing this out. And what she says then is that birth control and legal abortion would then allow women to control their pregnancies more freely. So she wants to give control to the women. And, and she sort of says, uh, you know, talks about why is abortion abhorred. And she said it's because it's considered a dangerous operation. And, and she says that, no, it's not dangerous anymore, that, you know, now abortion is performed by competent specialists in a clinic with proper preventative measure. And so there's no dangers involved. And, you know, women should not be afraid and such. So I thought it was interesting that she does not bring out uh, that, you know, abortion is uh, seen repugnant because of religious reasons and sees it shows it more from a medical perspective so maybe she's also trying to tell the women that you know it's a safe operation don't be afraid if if you need to go through this Um, but but take control of your of your pregnancy and your body and don't let the women men dictate uh, what to do so yeah so this is what you know so this kind of sets the tone for the chapter where she wants the women to be in control and she will showcase how various ways women sort of lose themselves in being a mother or being taken in by being a mother and not having control of their body and their um, you know mental health 
So then, you know, we were talking a lot about transcendence, right? We said, well, the men, they achieve transcendence through their work, but the women, they don't through this, the work that is motherhood does not give them transcendence. And it's really interesting because, you know, I said, oh, this is so wrong. Uh, women do change. They do, you know, experience something uh, like a rebirth or renewal of themselves through uh, childbirth. And it's, and I, and I thought, oh, you know, why doesn't Bouvard talk about this? Well, in the motherhood chapter, she does talk about this. I was like, all right, she covers every single aspect. Um, <laughs> she says that a woman does transcend herself, her body, especially, uh, you know, especially with the nausea and the discomfort. And it's something, you know, something really big is happening to her. Uh, so, so, you know, so there's a subject, there's the object disappears and, and she, the child swells within her and a new life submerges and, and all this happens to her, you know, it's his anguish, but there is also freedom. Uh, she is in this ambivalent reality. Her body is finally her own uh, since the child now belongs to her and society recognizes this, this possession of her with the sacred character. Her breast, which was previously an erotic object, is now the source of life. And, you know, so she is now like Mary with, you know, begging her son to save humanity. And so there is this sort of transcendence that happens to the woman. But, however, Bouvard thinks this is all an illusion, which I thought was, you know, an interesting twist. And the reason why she says it is because she thinks that the woman does not really make the child. It is made in her. Her flesh only engenders flesh. She is incapable of founding an existence that will have to found itself. Creation that springs from freed freedom posit the object as a value and endows it with necessity. So, and, and then, you know, she says that this child will tomorrow grow on to be his own person. She engenders him in her body, but then she doesn't control his existence. He's going to be something else. So I thought that was really you know, interesting, but at the same time, a bit, um, a bit sad. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and she says that, you know, this is something that the woman, the reason why she doesn't uh, achieve transcendence through pregnancy, motherhood is because she doesn't control the child. And, and yeah, so I was, I was sort of torn with this, you know, um, maybe because back in her time, this was all the woman's role. The woman's role was children but now we have taken a lot more many roles right we have a more women do have richer life and maybe so we're not so reliant on just our children for our source of um growth and and maybe that's why i was sort of sad to or i couldn't really understand why the woman would you know want to control her child in this way or be this possessive person who um you know, this is her only thing and there's nothing else in her life. So maybe I feel like Beauvoir is trying to make the case that the women, you know, the Freudian term, they, they develop mental issues because of this, you know, subjecting them just to be a mother because it's not fulfilling in the long term. I mean, fulfilling it is, but but in the long term, it it is not something she can truly control. And like men, they have a project they have their work, they have their outside life that they have fully control over. But for women's case, she doesn't have that opportunity. So which is why, you know, she suffers from all these uh, alienation and, and, and issues. Hence, the child is not really the, the thing that gives her the transcendence. So, so I thought, you know, I don't know, I'm still like, 
baffling through these concepts <laughs> that um, because she even says that, you know, when a woman goes through nausea, this is a way like when she vomits, it's a way that she wants her body's rejecting the child. I mean, yeah. she, says, she says, like, to quote someone like, you know, this, I don't know, these are like really uh, interesting theories that are presented. But but it's at least they're trying to understand the women condition in this in this uh, period of time. Like, why are the women suffering the way they are? And maybe it is because of how they are being portrayed as only mothers, only their role being taking care of children. And that is all. But I think she does realize that women are now being told to do everything. And that's impossible. Mm -hmm. You cannot be the best mom at home raising your, you know, three, four kids and putting all the work at the 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 materialistic culture demands or the corporate world demands of of a of a worker and and then you know you cannot do that i mean for both men and women they cannot do that and she says it and i'll quote this she says if too often today a woman has a hard time reconciling the interests of her children with a profession that demands long hours away from home and all her strength, it is because on the one hand, women's work is still too often a kind of slavery. On the other hand, no effort has been made to ensure children's health, care and education outside the home. This is social neglect. What I think is both men and women to give them a break from this corporate world or whatever work world to spend time with their families and uh, make it easy for them to then transition again if they want to go back full time. Right. I think what we've made it, we've made it so hard that it's become like a choice then, then the woman takes, right? Like, okay, I will give up my career. I will go part time. And then, you know, they know that it's going to be very difficult to get back to uh, workforce. So I think that's something we need to understand how our society needs to understand how we can make that transition better. And I think once we do that, or make that transition easier, I think we'll have more people, um, both men and women, who will take time to spend, you know, with their family, because they know that it's not a penalty that they're paying for on their career. Right. So, so yeah, so I think that's what Bouvoir is trying to say, that there is social neglect on this part, and we still need to work, you know, on these things. So, yeah, so then she goes on to talk about the woman as a divided you know, being okay, like, you know, we just talked about whether it is work, or does she want children? What does she want to do? And, and she says, you know, when we were talking about transcendence, she says that motherhood has not given us, um, you know, she doesn't think that motherhood is what helps transcend women, because, you know, because of the fact that we can become mothers has not given us equal status in society. For example, becoming a mother is not how women gain their right to vote right? Mm-hmm. Uh, has, they haven't gone any, you know, social benefits because they are a mother. They had to fight for those rights. It is only through marriage that a mother is glorified. In other words, as long as she's subordinate to the husband, as long as he is the economic head of the family, even though she, it is she who cares for the children, they depend far more on him than on her. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like we're saying that we've made the outside work becomes much more important than the domestic world, uh, domestic life. And this is what she's saying, that the mother's relationship with her children is influenced by the one she maintains with her husband. So if Mm -hmm. she does not have a good relationship with her husband, then her, you know, domestic life is also not, uh, is affected, and especially her relationship with her children. All right. So now uh, moving on to... uh, 
women's situation and character. And I feel like this chapter is mostly just Beauvoir summing up, you know, the what she wants to say about the woman in self. Um, so in the opening lines, she says of this chapter, she says that there's a lot of indictments that have been made against women, um, you know, that the women, they remain same, they are superficial, they wallow in eminence, a woman is argumentative, woman is cautious and petty, she lacks morality, she's vulgar, self-serving, selfish, she's a liar, she's an actress. She. These are the terms that men have... Uh, uh, said about women and and you know Bouvard talks in in throughout the book she sort of give references of writers and philosophers since the time of Greeks who have dismissed women as not being intellectually capable of a man because of these reasons and and Bouvard's project is to show basically that these type of behaviors are not sort of you know inherent these are more dictated these are not by her hormones, but these are something that is suggested from society. So she's trying to say that that woman's situation is not a result of her character, rather that a character is a result of her situation. Has you know, if a woman is considered mediocre, complacent, if she's considered someone who lacks accomplishment, is lazy, is passive, all these qualities are consequences of her subordination and are not the cause. So I think mm-hmm. that's what basically she wants to say that, um, you know, when when you were the first line, like you are, uh, you know, how do you become a woman? Like, what is it to be a woman? And it is because of the society that is made woman to be this particular way or wants woman to be this particular way, which is why she is this way. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is why she mm-hmm. is, you know, someone who is fragile because the man wants her to be fragile, doesn't want her to be strong. And so she says, you know, in the last paragraph, she said, look, how can women liberate themselves from these particular negative terms that they're associated with? And that liberation, she thinks, can only occur through a collective action, which we sort of talked about in our previous episodes, that women from all social classes, especially bourgeois women who want to, who's tend to stay with their own within their own class, need to come out and support women from all different classes, come together and demand an economic evolution of the feminine condition. And um, and only when, you know, women come together, this change can can occur. And that's when women will reach, achieve transcendence and break away mm-hmm. from that eminence. So we can say, you know, we're, we're getting there in some ways, like women have, uh, you know, are able to participate in the economic world. But at the same time, as you and I have discussed, there are still so many barriers that are put in place and they're very subtle. And there are still the ways to get women um, back into, you know, get them away from the workforce or, or one example being, you know, when you become a mother you know, it's not easy to get back to work. Or when you have a child, you're caring for that. It's not easy to participate in in things outside of the home life. And how can we now make sure that we are understanding of, uh, you know, all the roles that women take and still help them help them participate in the work life? For example, one way, like as as we've seen through you know, this COVID crisis is that things can be done remotely, right? You don't need to fly over to Iowa if that's where your conference is. You can just participate in through your home. You know, you can tune in. So maybe technology in some ways could 
help women, <laughs> you know, balance it out or could help, I would say not just women, I just think more family in terms of families, because I think now both men and women should share the responsibility of children. And it is after the birth of children that women sort of suffer the penalty of um, the, the child penalty or wage penalty. So I think it shouldn't be just women. It should be, the burden should be both on men and women and society should figure out a way where they can incorporate families more into the workforce. So then it will be more of a of an evolution or transcendence of the family with, uh, with a changing uh, way of how our work culture is. Yeah, that's great, Faiza. Thank you so much. Um, I guess as we wrap up the book, maybe we can just share a takeaway or two from the book as a whole. I, I was thinking that probably one of the things that I will take away is is just, I, I guess, that foundational principle that's right there in the title of the book, The Second Sex. And we talked about this in, in the first episode, but something that I can really um, use practically in my life that now I will attribute to Beauvoir and, and her insights is just catching myself when I notice a mental attitude of regarding a man with whatever man it is as primary and myself as secondary. I know that because I was trained in certain ways, I was trained that way to see a man's role as, you know, being a leader and a woman as auxiliary and supportive and, um, really needing ma- male approval, even in relationships that should be peer relationships. I really appreciate Beauvoir pointing out that very fundamental way of thinking that we might even not realize we're doing, of seeing the man as being the one and the woman being the other. And I want to make sure that I place myself at the center of my own life. And of course, it's, I mean, there's situations, of course, where it's appropriate that um, if I'm in a class with a male professor, he's obviously the leader in that context, right? If I have a man who, who is my boss at work, then of course, he's the leader. But if there's a peer relationship where it's one adult talking to another adult, I do sometimes find myself thinking of the male as being kind of the one and myself as the other because of of my training. So I'm going to p- try to really identify those moments and push back against that and make sure that I place myself again as as central and have that really solid at my core. And and to maybe talk, you know, as I'm as I'm talking, I'm realizing I don't know that I've explicitly had that conversation with my children either, with my daughters and my son to be aware of patriarchy in the world and aware that we have these psychological constructs that we've absorbed without even knowing we've absorbed them um, so that I can make sure that my son is aware that he may be talking to girls who see themselves as inferiors and that he needs to make sure that he has his eye out for that and that he is empowering in his language and his attitude toward girls and understands that they may be coming into conversations from that place. And, and that my girls obviously also just feel very, um, yeah, primary and central in their own lives and feel very confident entering any context with any other human being. 
that would be my big takeaway is just the whole, the, that whole concept wrapped up in the very title, which is mm. the second sex mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. What about you, Faiza? What are some of your conclusions or takeaways? Yeah, no, this was wonderful, Amy. Thank you for sharing. I, I like that you want to discuss this with your children and have them, not just you being observant about uh, moments where you feel that maybe patriarchy is, uh, you know, somehow everything that is embedded within us, like con- you confront it and, and oppose it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. use uh, what Bouvoir says to to take control of situations rather than be taken in by what the men are saying. And, and then teach it to your children as well. So they also recognize these moments and are aware of it. I think that's wonderful. For me, one thing, you know, reading this again, I mean, I've read it in various times in my life. And, and like I said, it's just so every time I read it, I just think of it as massive and meticulously researched and and this masterwork and this pillar of feminist thought, you know, and um, always, you know, there are things that I think, oh, why doesn't Bouvard talk about this? And sure enough, in the next chapter, yeah. she talks about it and, and talks yeah. about it so well. Um, there's so many things that she says. And it's just, uh, I mean, you could see why this book was revolutionary because it was one of the earliest attempts to confront human history from a feminist perspective. It wasn't done before. So I feel like it's an essential read, even if it in some points feels outdated. But I think, you know, in reading it, I also started to realize how sort of our society is structured and why is it structured the way it is and how it sort of, you know, tries to keep women, especially women who are mothers, keep out, you know, and go back to the domestic sphere and not be involved in in social and work life and how can we sort of change that what can we put in place what policies can be put in place and i was reading about sweden apparently sweden has much more better policies for including families or or having people do be easily be able to do part-time or even like you know between husband and wife if they have a child they can take a particular number of months off together and they can balance like, okay, I think it's 16 months or total. So they can do eight and eight or they could do 10 mm-hmm. and six, you know, they can divide amongst themselves. So they're like a lot of federal, pol- I mean, of, of course, Sweden is a much smaller country, but I think like at least those examples are good to good to see and see how those societies work and how can we take in those elements and, and, and sort of use them in our society as well. And we don't have to think about federally. I mean, we can just think about, you know, California in general. Can we, how can we make California more family friendly? Um, You know, even though we do give paternity leave, a lot of men don't take it. Why is that? How can we encourage a culture where both partners, you know, take joy in staying at home and don't feel it as a burden or something that uh, affects their careers? Because now women are also right there staying in workforce longer and then getting married and then having children much later. So they also feel like, oh, now, you know, I will miss out on my promotion or miss out on the next step in my career because I had a child. Like not to feel that way, but to feel the joy in being a parent, being a mother, take that as a challenge. And um, and I was just thinking, you know, because last week or week before was the Nobel Prize week. And I was like, there's no prizes for motherhood. Why not? Right? <laughs> why is there no, why is there prizes, Nobel Prize for this and writing prize for that and grant for this and grant for that, but nothing for like being a good parent or being a good mm-hmm. family member or, or, or I was just talking to my mom, like even maintaining relationships uh, with your in-laws, with your own family, with your children, with your partner. I mean, that requires a lot of work and we don't appreciate that. Right. I mean, because, and 
maybe we need to have awards for those things and maybe then we will appreciate like you know um uh, what can we do to to make this um i mean either you know like for humanity you know we say we always at the time of crisis is when we understand like oh we need to change like maybe when a time of crisis come when our birth rate is so low that we're like oh no what are we doing we're gonna stop you know humanity is is going to die out and that's when we're going to give all these things to mothers and and parents and (laughs) benefits will come you know like climate change right as soon as our our temperatures are going to rise so high that's when we're going to like do something about it right now we're just going to discuss and debate discuss and debate so i think it is at some point we need to think about what actions we want to take and maybe you know looking at how other countries have solved these problems or you know, would be something we need to sort of study more and incorporate. And for that, we, we not only need women to raise their voice, but also men to raise their voice, and especially men who are fathers to raise their voice. And I think that's when change would, would really occur, when when men say, no, we want to take our paternity leave, we want the full paternity leave, we want it to be paid leave, we want, you know, to spend time with our children, we don't want our weekends and all the time just about work, like there has to be family time, or we need, you know, the fathers need to spend time with their, with their, you know, children, also not just that it's responsibility of the mothers. And um, so yeah, I think I think only when the male voice rises, only then I feel like there would be some change. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I remember in my corporate world, like the men would take two days paternity leave and be back or or maybe a week. And if that's the standard, then everybody would follow that. Right. Especially if your if your executives follow that um, or or if your executive says, yes, I am taking leave. But then all the time is is emailing and pinging and this and that. Right. Uh, showcasing that they're still working because, you know, we value work so much and we really put no value in. Um, uh, we don't give it enough value the time that is spent with children or the effort we we think that this should be taken care of by someone else and and of course that person should not be seen or named or anything but that's that person mm-hmm. you know like we talked about that help is there so i think these things we need to confront in our society more and 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 Bouvar helped me help me see that um that we still have a lot of problems even though we claim that we have made a lot of progress since 1949 still have a mm-hmm. lot of problems and we still um, need to deal with those. And I'm so grateful for you, Amy, for, um, you know, setting up this patriarchy podcast and having us discuss this wonderful text. And I really, really hope that your listeners will give it a shot. And, and if this seems too, you know, philosophical or cumbersome, then check out her short story collection, The Woman Destroyed, which also talks about the same issues, but in in a, you know, in a fictional form, which also is really interesting. So yeah, Yeah, that's a great recommendation, Faiz. I'm really glad you mentioned that. And then just in general, thank you so much for spending the time reading this book again. (laughs) (laughs) I think you said your third time reading Beauvoir and um, just offering such great um, ideas. This really was neat. I have to just say, I this will be repeating what I said before, but this was really neat for me to have this conversation with you. Having our, we have a lot of overlap in our life experience and our point of view, but we have some really different things that we brought to right. this discussion. And so I learned a lot from you, and um, 
just so appreciate you being here. This was a ton of fun and I and I learned a lot. So thank you so much, Faiza, for being here. Thank you so much, Amy. Yes, I am really excited and I cannot wait to hear the rest of the episodes that you will be yeah. recording. I'm really excited. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm.